Thank you, Pastor. I sure appreciate your Pastor. It's always a joy to be a Temple Baptist in Statesville, and I'm thrilled that he allowed me to come back. I was here two years ago. I've released a few new DVDs or videos since that time, and they're available on the table, including this message I'm giving is actually a new message. I thought I would show you a little project that we've got going in Illinois. I hope you'll pray for the project. We've got this billboard up on Interstate 55 in Illinois. We've got an extremely liberal state, and uh, our governor is actually promoting uh, abortion people to come from other states for abortions. And uh, so we've got this billboard up and we've also got it going up in digital form in Chicago and Bloomington and Springfield and Decatur, Illinois next month. It's also up in Arkansas and a church in um, uh, a church in Oregon has taken the same billboard and they're putting it up and using it now. So pray that God will bless that and use that. Years ago now, I received a telephone call from a preacher friend by the name of Tony Derringer in Hillsboro, Illinois. He's also given me permission to share this story. Pastor Tony was concerned because of something that happened at his church on the previous Sunday, November the 21st, 1993. After the service ended, a first-time visitor at the church had called a child abuse hotline and reported something she saw the pastor do during his sermon. Now it was being investigated and the local state's attorney was considering bringing felony charges against the child or against the pastor for child endangerment. Tony explained to me that he had been preaching about how that God is someday going to cast Satan into hell. And to illustrate his point, he walked from the pulpit over to a pew where a man and his wife and their eight-year-old son were sitting. He then picked up eight-year-old Andrew and threw him about eight feet across the front of the church where the boy landed on his right side on the carpet. The boy's parents had a, quote, heated discussion the next day with their pastor about the incident, but Tony talked to him and assured them that he meant the boy no harm, he wouldn't do it again, and they were no longer upset. Tony explained to him that he had wrestled and roughhoused with the boy in the past. He had thought the boy would land on his feet, but of course that is not what happened. To let me know that the boy was not upset with him, Pastor Tony told me that later that day, Andrew and two of his buddies asked him to throw them from the church's porch out into the grass, which the pastor wisely declined to do. A video camera was running at the church that morning, recorded most of the incident, and the police had taken the video as evidence of a possible crime. I listened to Pastor Tony and told him we'd all done something stupid sometime, and I prayed with him and wondered if it would all just blow away, and I'll share more of that story later. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 lists for us seven things that the Lord hates. Notice what is number one on that list, a proud look. Proverbs 8:13 The fear of the Lord is to begin the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate arrogancy is pompous showy swelling pride Proverbs 15:25 The Lord will destroy, destroy the house of the proud Proverbs 16:5 Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord 
though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18 is probably the key verse for this message. Everybody read it out loud with me off the screen altogether. Would you please? Here we go. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So you don't want to just talk or act humbly. You want real humility to be coming from deep inside your spirit. If your spirit is truly humble, then your words and actions are more likely to portray that humble spirit. I want to speak this morning on the subject pride, the hidden sin that feeds other sins, and also have a message that sort of goes with this on how to humble yourself. I want to admit right up front that it frightens me to preach on this subject because I know I have not yet arrived in dealing with pride, nor have I arrived in the area of humbling myself. I preach a lot on the subject of anger. And honestly, it's easy to preach on anger with a spirit of anger. And my prayer today is that I can preach on pride with a spirit of humility. The prominent sin of the well-known sinners of the Bible was pride. Satan, filled with pride when he rebelled against God and said, I will be like the Most High God. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I, 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 I. Nimrod was filled with pride when he built the Tower of Babel. God had to deal with the pride of Pharaoh by sending the plagues upon Egypt. King Isaiah was one of the greatest kings of Israel, but God brought him down because of his pride. Haman was determined to destroy the Jews, but his pride caused him to be hanged from the gallows that he made for somebody else. Then there was Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and in the New Testament, Herod, who when he started to make an oration, the people said, he's a god. And the true God smote him on the spot and he died a horrible death in the presence of all of those people. And so what do we need to understand about pride so that we can avoid it? Number one, two big words. Everybody say them with me. Would you please all together? Pride hides. First of all, pride hides its presence. Most people have a problem with pride don't know what their problem really is. So how do you fix a problem that you don't know that you have? How many people who have a conflict with someone, if asked why do you have this conflict, would say, it's because I'm such a proud person. Pastor, you've been a pastor for a lot of years. Have you ever had anybody say that? But I promise you that somebody's had that problem. Pride also hides its negative power. Many people don't realize that their problem was caused by pride even after the pride has devastated their lives. How many times have I heard somebody say, I don't know why this is happening to to me. Pride is one of the most elusive of all sins, and it's one of the most difficult sins to deal with because, first of all, and this is big in our culture, people don't think of pride as being a really serious sin. 
We talk about being proud of our kids. So, is pride really a negative thing? And I might just throw this in right here. I don't think it's wrong for you to say, I'm proud of my kids. But God never uses pride or proud in a positive way. You go all the way through the Bible and read every word that is associated with pride. Pride is always a very negative thing. And if we want to be more biblically accurate, what we should probably be saying is, my children are such a blessing to me. And secondly, people don't think they are demonstrating pride when they are. And thirdly, people don't realize that the division and destruction that they may be experiencing is probably coming from their pride. Pride is the fertilizer that energizes every root of bitterness and every offense. Pride is the force that causes the root of bitterness to go so deep in someone's heart and life that it seems impossible to dig it out. Pride produces the cancerous tumors of anger and wrath and malice and resentment and unforgiveness and vengeance that grow in the heart and on the countenance of bitter people. Pride causes Christians who are demanding their rights to sue one another in secular courts and damage the name of Christ and waste hundreds of thousands of dollars of God's money. According to Ezekiel 16.49, the first iniquity of the vile city of Sodom was pride. The rest of their vile behavior grew out of their pride and their pride was the root from which their destruction ultimately came. And it is not insignificant that people who in our day who have become addicted to the quote gay lifestyle now have pride parades and a Pride Month. Five times the Bible refers to the proud in heart. One time it says that the heart of man is haughty. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said that pride comes out of the heart. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So we can easily have pride hiding in our heart and not know that it is there. There have been times I wanted to say to somebody, I feel like you don't realize it, but what we're really dealing with in your life is pride. But then as I've wanted to help them with their area, that area, I realized that their pride was camouflaging itself where they couldn't see it and keeping them from even real, receiving that very statement that described their greatest need. It's very difficult to help people who have a pride problem. Not just because the proud are too proud to admit their pride, but also because the proud don't usually know they are proud. Their pride is hiding from them. And then too, everybody struggles with pride sometimes, so proud people will quickly become defensive and accuse the person who is trying to help them of being proud. I've had people say to me, I am so disgusted 
he is such a proud man or she is such a proud woman. And I would reply, but this person doesn't know they are proud. You have to be patient with them. You and I cannot deal with them like you want to or we will be demonstrating pride as well. We've got to give them time. We have to be humble. I want to challenge everybody right now to ask God to search your heart and show you any pride that may be hiding or camouflaging itself in your heart and your life. If you're not careful, you may get to the point in the Christian life where you think, well, I have arrived. And I want to tell you, this is an area where you never arrive till you get to heaven. This is an area you must always be growing. Humility is a grace you must always be seeking. Pride is a dangerous minefield that you must always be avoiding. Read this out loud with me, please. Everybody, all together, would you? Here we go. I have had a problem with pride Pride may be a huge problem in my life right now, and I don't know it. Pastor Don Green told the story of how he was staying in the home of some church members while he was preaching in a church. He said he got to thinking proud thoughts about how important he was, what a good preacher he was, how much Bible he knew, how great his sermons were, and the time to preach got closer. And he realized he was going to have to get along with God, get his heart ready so he could preach. So he found a secluded area, went in to pray. He knew there was a cat in the house. But he didn't know that the cat had been in the room where he went to pray. He went in and knelt down and began to confess the terrible sin of pride. In a little while, he decided he needed to humble himself further. So he stretched himself out flat on the floor and cried out to God. Confessed that he was nobody and nothing. Told God he couldn't do anything without God. By the way, that's good praying for any of us to do sometimes. After a while, Dr. Green pushed himself up off the floor and as he began to stand up, he noticed something strange. And I'll finish that story in a minute. Pride can come on you when you don't even realize it is there. It will hide from you. It will camouflage itself. Anytime you see a man with a problem with anger... You're seeing a man who also has a problem with pride. Anytime you see a woman who has a problem with gossip or contention or nagging, you're also seeing a lady who has a problem with pride. Anytime you see a person who is unteachable, you're seeing a person who has a problem with pride. Here is a man who refuses to seek counsel in relation to his marriage, his business, or some problem with which he's dealing, what he may think is that he is assuming the responsibility for his own life and his own home. In reality, pride is keeping him from admitting that he needs help. I wonder how many disastrous decisions have been made because someone did not seek counsel because they were afraid Somebody would think that they were dumb 
Read this with me, would you please, all together. Sometimes I'm dumb and I need to seek counsel. And I know you're not really dumb, all right? But you get the point that I'm trying to make here. This sermon was born when I heard about a person who made a mistake. He needed to apologize for it, but he wouldn't apologize because he said, I don't want people to find out I was so dumb I made a mistake like that. That was just pride. What that man didn't realize was that he would have been respected more for humility that would apologize than he was for his pride that kept him from apologizing. I'm remembering right now, just a few weeks ago, I did a a radio interview with a a whole circuit of radio stations. and, And we started taking calls. And the last call we got was from this man who said, my kids say that I raised them in anger and that I need to apologize for it. And he said, I told them I don't think I should ever apologize to my kids for anything. What do you think about that? And of course, we were just dealing with that man's pride. Two people or two families are angry, upset, and quarreling with one another. Did you know that pride is always present on one or both sides Of any conflict. Proverbs 13.10. Read it out loud everybody. Would you please? Only by pride cometh contention. Anytime you deal with contention. Anytime you know in advance. You are dealing with pride. Many times I found myself in a situation. Where I was dealing with a couple of people. Who were having problems. Or a couple of families having problems. Right away. I knew. There was pride somewhere, and often the pride is on both sides. And my observation is this. Until you can get some humility on one side or the other, you can't solve the problem. As long as pride remains entrenched on either side, the problem probably can't and won't be resolved. Read this with me, please, everybody. I have never seen a situation where reconciliation, if there was humility on both sides of a conflict. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-five: he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Some people seem to just love argument, strife, and contention. They think that it makes them look bigger and better if they can make the other person look smaller and dumber. Have you ever had to deal with a bully? Anybody here ever had to deal with a bully? Bullies are motivated by pride. Monty Watts, as a boy, came down with a rare disease that crippled him and he had to wear braces. And when he finally went back to school, another student walked up to him, spit at him, and said to him, you're a good-for-nothing cripple. The bully thinks it makes him look bigger if he makes somebody else look feel smaller. Pride wins lots of arguments, but it doesn't accomplish anything because at the same time it loses relationships. Pride starts problems. It's even possible to not see pride in ourselves. Because of being so disgusted with the pride that we see in somebody else. I read an article talking about five different kinds of pride. 
And all five of these hide from the person who has them. And a person with one kind of pride will not see their pride because they're focused on somebody else's kind of pride. And they're amazed that that other person has that kind of pride. And they don't realize that this other person is looking at their pride. Intellectual pride. Somebody who thinks they're smarter than somebody else. And you know, whatever mental capacities you have were given to you by God. What right do you have to be proud of them? Material pride. Well, look where he lives. Look at the way she dresses. But folks, what you have isn't nearly as important as what you are. We don't have anything that God didn't give us. And you know how long it takes for him to take it all away? Check out the story of Job. The richest person here today could be a pauper by this time tomorrow. Spiritual pride. The Pharisees were filled with this. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul also said, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The church has to be careful about putting someone in a position of leadership who has not been saved very long, or who's not grown very much, or who hasn't taken opportunities for experience in God's work. Why? First Timothy 3, 6, Not a novice, less being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. There is something about title and position that tends to really mess a proud person up. I think about Moses. He was called the meekest man who ever lived, but he wasn't always that way. God had to humble Moses where he could use him. Our usability in life is directly related To our humility. Read this with me off the screen. Everybody would you please. Whatever the degree is of humility. Is the degree to which we can be used. And whatever degree of pride we have. Is the thing that stops us. Maybe more than any other single thing. From being used. You remember what Moses said to God. At the burning bush. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. But 40 years before that, when he was in Egypt, he was a prince. He had been raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, trained in the arts and teachings of the Egyptians. He was somebody. And he thought, I can deliver my people out of bondage. He was self-confident. Filled with his own wisdom and power. And God had to take Moses to the wilderness for 40 years. To bring him to the end of himself. God had to convince Moses that he was a nobody. Read this with me please everybody. God wants men great enough to be small enough to be used. Pastor Don Green pushed himself up off the floor. And as he began to stand up. He noticed something strange. Something really smelled terrible. He looked down on the front of his shirt and saw something dark 
and yucky looking on the front of his tie. Then he ran his hand down across the tie and it dawned on him that he had been laying in cat stuff. (laughs) Cat poo. He he tried to clean it off, but the stain and the smell from the cat poo just stayed behind. He only had one tie to wear, so he went to church that night wearing the cat stuff tie. And all evening, the stain and the smell stayed where it was. And I want to tell you folks, pride stinks in any of us. Humility is a beautiful thing in anyone, and pride is an ugly thing that can stain any of our lives. By the way, I appreciate the humility of Pastor Green to tell that story on himself. And you know, let me, while I'm at this, let me diverge from this and tell you a story I heard just this week that ties in so well with this. We've all heard about the death of Queen Elizabeth. And how greatly she was loved all over the globe. Do you know why? Because she was humble. She was royalty, but she was humble. And I read a story this week about one day she was at her castle in Scotland and went with her bodyguard for a walk. This happened years ago. And came across a couple of American tourists who were on a hike. And the tourists did not recognize that she was the queen. And they looked at her and they said to her, You're from this area. Have you ever met the queen? And she said, Well, I wouldn't say that I know her real well, but I I know who she is. Then they looked at her bodyguard and said, Do you know the queen? And he said, Well, I've met her a few times. They said, You have. You've met the queen? They said, he said, yes. They said, what's she like? And the bodyguard knew that he could joke with the queen. And he said, well, she's a little cantankerous at times. But she's a really nice person. They said, you've met the queen. They said, would you take our picture? Could we get our picture taken with you? They hand the camera to the queen and have the queen take their picture with the bodyguard. Then the bodyguard, the bodyguard says to them, you know what, let me get your picture with this lady while you're here as well. And they said, well, that would be nice. And so they took the picture with the queen and they went their way and the queen laughed later and said, I would love to have been a fly on the wall when she showed, when those people showed that picture to somebody back in America who knew who I was. So, you, you see the humility? That is why. If you want to be loved and respected and admired, humility will be the grace that does that. Social pride. Pride in position, race, or social class. When will we ever learn That the color of no man's skin makes him any better or any worse than any other man. White pride and black pride are both wrong. Number five, talented or artistic pride. You see this sometimes in sports. That referee is blind as a bat. You know what? 
When you lose could be the biggest test of whether you're really winning over your proud spirit or not. Talented pride. It's especially easy for musicians to become proud. Be careful, musician, to make sure that whatever glory you get for what you do doesn't stay with you. Make sure you pass it on to God and others. You study Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, you'll find out that Lucifer was the original music maker in heaven. His very being put out every type of orchestral sound imaginable. Apparently he was created to make music before the throne of heaven itself. His original sin was pride. I was a minister of music for six years, from age 16 to age 22. Then I pastored for 36 and a half years. I saw on many occasions a church was so likely to have problems. More likely to have problems in the area of music than many, almost any other area. I remember a man years ago who produced his own soundtrack and then wanted to sing with it in church. And when we didn't feel like we could let him do it, He got upset and dropped out of church. Then he lost his marriage and years later took his own life. I don't know that I have ever met a more brilliant and talented man than him, but his pride destroyed him. Pride hides. Secondly, pride keeps you from getting God's help. 2 Samuel 2, 20, uh, 2 Samuel 22, 28, and the afflicted people thou wilt say, but thine eyes are upon the haughty that thou mayest bring them down. Not only does God not help to lift up the proud person, God actually works to bring the proud person down. And hear me, it's not that God is being mean, it's just what we need And God always does for all of us what we need. Think about Pharaoh. Over and over, God says through Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh asks, who's your God? So plague after plague is poured out on Egypt until finally the death angel sweeps through and Pharaoh loses his own firstborn son. Surely now. He will wake up and humble himself. But no, Pharaoh tells him to leave Egypt. Then he goes after them. God parted the Red Sea. The children of Israel went through on dry ground. Pharaoh's army is looking at the water, standing up like a wall on either side. Isn't Pharaoh going to stop and think that those walls of water that stood up at some point are probably going to come back down? Pharaoh gave the army the order. His army went into the Red Sea. Anybody remember what happened next? It was not the walls of water coming down. Study it. The next thing that happened was God reached down and ripped the chariot wheels off of all of their chariots. Could you imagine riding down Interstate 40 and looking over and suddenly everybody's wheels fly off their cars? That's what happened to Pharaoh's army that day. And they're all sitting there. They've all done belly landings in the, in the middle of the Red Sea, realizing, whoa. And then the hand of God dropped the water. Now what tends to happen to a really proud person is they tend to hold on to their pride 
all the way to their grave. First Peter 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may, that he may exalt you in due time. Whatever your problem is today, God is right there with a big load of his grace And that grace is sufficient for you. And the thing stopping you from receiving that grace is P-R-I-D-E, pride. No, I don't need God's help in this area in my home. I can handle this my way. Really? I've especially been noticing how pride stops the process of reconciliation between individuals and families who are alienated from each other. 1 Corinthians 6 clearly tells people how to be reconciled. They are not to go before a secular judge. They are to agree on a spiritual judge and give him the respect that they would a secular judge. They should decide ahead of time that whatever the spiritual judge says that they will listen to him and admit where they are wrong and make things right, pride stops that whole process. Read with me off the screen, please, everybody. When either side is more concerned about being right than they are making things right, then reconciliation is stopped. And it is really pride that stops it. No. I won't admit that I'm wrong in that area. No, I will not ask for forgiveness. And we're still talking about how pride keeps you from getting God's help. And I'm going to, um, well, let me, let me go ahead and share this. Second Kings 5 relates the story of Naaman, captain of the Syrian army. He was also a leper. But his biggest problem was not his leprosy. His biggest problem was his pride. In fact, his pride was so bad, he almost did not get cured of his leprosy. Naaman was like the ultimate male chauvinist. So who does God send to help him? Not a male, but a female. Not a lady, but a girl. Not a regular girl, a slave girl. Not a Syrian slave girl, an Israeli slave girl. Husbands, do you let your wives help you with pride? I said to my wife a while back, honey, that statement I made, did did that sound proud? And she said, well, honestly, yes, it did. (laughs) And you know, that, that hurt, but I needed it. Fellas, have you ever asked your wife? A few weeks later, Pastor Tony called me again. The incident had not just blown away. In fact, things had gotten worse. I drove to Hillsboro, Illinois, hour and a half away, went out to eat with my pastor friend. He updated me on what had been happening. He had been publicly defensive of what he had done in throwing eight-year-old Andrew. He insisted he had done nothing wrong. He explained that the state's attorney was a lady. And they'd hear her that she had said something like, that pastor needs to learn a good lesson and I'm the one to teach it to him. I looked across the table and said, Brother Tony, 
What you did may not have been a crime, but it was a mistake. It was dumb. You shouldn't have done it. My suggestion to you is that you call a press conference and publicly apologize to the boy and his family and the community for what you did. This story is growing by the day. News media will show up if you ask them to. The the news media was on this thing and it was going everywhere. Tell the TV and newspaper reporters while you didn't think at the time what you did was wrong, looking back you realize it was dumb and if you had to do over again you wouldn't have done it. Tell them you hope the state's attorney doesn't charge you with a crime but if she does you understand she's just doing her job. I was shocked at my friend's response at that point as he looked across the table at me and said, I didn't do anything wrong. If I wanted to, I'd do the same thing again next Sunday. That state's attorney is just doing this because she's a woman and she thinks she can get by with attacking a pastor who is a man. And I leaned back and said, Brother, what I'm dealing with now is pride, I think. And pride is a very dangerous thing for you in this situation. Number three, pride takes the glory that is due to God alone. Nebuchadnezzar was the king and chief architect of the city of Babylon, one of the most fabulous cities the world has ever seen. In Daniel chapter 4, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream which Daniel interpreted for him. The dream was of him being a great tree that spread out all over these people and that if he wasn't careful, God would cut him down and just leave a stump there. Twelve months later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking in the palace in Babylon and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And he became like a beast with long hair, long fingernails, crawling around, eating grass for seven long years. Read my points with me off the screen, everybody. Number one, pride hides. Number two, pride. Number three, pride. Number four, pride delivers you to destruction. Thine eyes are upon the haughty that thou mayest bring them down. Pride goeth before destruction. A man's pride shall bring him low. God resisteth the proud twice. In James and First Peter we read, God resisteth the proud. The Greek word resist means oppose. It means God fights against you. And Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, that is the most terrible statement in all the Bible. When God fights against you, you may as well go ahead and surrender. You are not going to win. So how can you conquer pride? Number one, find hidden pride in your life by watching for the evidences that show it is there. Don't miss this. Are you angry or bitter? Is there strife or division or conflict that cannot be resolved? Is it because of your pride or the other person's or both of you? Do you get upset when you are corrected or reproved? Do you reject correction even from godly people who love you and are trying to help you? 
Do you feel like you don't need counsel? Do you apologize regularly and quickly? Is it hard for you to admit that you did something wrong? Are you constantly thinking that you're better than somebody else? Here's an interesting one. Does it bother you if somebody forgets your name? Do you feel like you deserve praise? Do you receive praise without giving glory to God? Number two, keep pride away by seeing and doing now what Nebuchadnezzar did after God judged his pride. You remember that God made him like a wild beast for seven years. And after the seven years passed, Nebuchadnezzar said, Now I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar finally dealt with his pride, but it cost him seven years of humiliation to do it. Number three, take full responsibility for the sin of pride by confessing it to God and others who saw or heard it. That means sometimes, fellas, if you've never done it, it wasn't because you didn't need to. You need to say to your wife, honey, that was a proud thing I said, and I'm sorry for it. Number four, continually watch and seek for ways to manifest humility in your life. Micah 6, 8, He has showed the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with thy God means everywhere you go and everything, everyone you meet, you're always watching for ways to manifest humility. And number five, ask the Holy Spirit to manifest His fruit of meekness in your life and to point out to you any time you might be manifesting pride. I've seen lots of things destroy relationships. But the biggest destroyer may be pride. Because it brings anger into the situation. It rejects counsel. It refuses to see where it is wrong and ask for forgiveness. It is unteachable. It demands its right. It's experts. It exerts its expectations. It stops communication. It closes doors. On December the 30th, 1993, a grand jury indicted my friend, Pastor Tony, with a felony charge of cruelty to children that was punishable by up to three years in prison and two misdemeanor charges of child endangerment and battery punishable by one-year jail terms. My family and I took Tony and his family out to dinner and I counseled him again. He listened a little more, but there's still a resistance. Then word spread. Threats came against him and his family. He wants to throw that little boy. I'm going to come over and throw him. He had to send his family out of state for their safety. I got a call on a Monday about his trial and went down the next day. And the two-day jury trial took place in May of 1994. And it began with the playing of the video where Tony threw the eight-year-old boy illustrating how God is going to throw Satan into hell. The boy suffered a rug burn on his right elbow and a bruise on his right hip. The visitor who called the child abuse hotline testified in court and said, 
The thing that I saw and still do is the fright on the little boy's face. He was white as a sheet and looked very frightened. When Andrew landed, the whole congregation cried out, Oh! Then the pastor snapped his fingers and said, It's a trick. He's not hurt. He's more scared than anything else. Don't show mercy. God will have no mercy on that day. The boy with tears in his eyes got up and walked back to his seat. I sat in the courtroom and listened. As a humbled and now humiliated pastor testified on the stand and said, I made a mistake. I admit I did wrong, but I don't think I'm a criminal. I'll leave it up to the jury. When the closing arguments were finished, the jury was dismissed to deliberate the verdict. I sat with Tony and others in the courtroom for three hours waiting on the jury to return. Lots of news media were there. And at one point, the anchor man for a TV station in Decatur, Illinois, came back and struck up a conversation with Tony and me. And he said this, You know, this thing has grown so much bigger than it had to be. I don't personally go out for trials unless it's capital murder or something like that. But they sent me here for this today. Then he looked at my pastor friend and said to him, You know what, pastor? What I don't get is why it even came to this. Why didn't you call a press conference several months ago and just say to all of us what you said on the stand a little while ago? If you'd done that, I don't think we would have even been here today. The jury returned and read their verdict. Pastor Tony was found guilty of misdemeanor child endangerment. He was sentenced to two years court supervision and ordered to complete 200 hours of community service. He had to undergo a psychological evaluation and pay court costs. Tony walked out, met the cameras, praised his lawyer, the jury, praised his people. He said he was not bitter or upset with anybody. And later I said, Brother Tony, God was humbling you. And he said, Brother Davis, I believe you, and he knows how to do it, and he won't have to do it anymore. Sadly, a pastor friend I talked to several years later told me that he thought that what happened was a factor that led to the church closing down completely several months later. Read the verse one more time, everybody, please, all together. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. And as I end this story and the message, the statement that we all should say together, because it's easy for you and I to hear a story like this and say, Oh, I can't believe he did that. Anytime you hear of anybody doing something stupid, anytime you hear of somebody falling into sin, what you should always say is, read it please, There but for the grace of God go I. Because if you think you couldn't do that, the reason you think that is because of pride. Why do people want to work their way to heaven, trust in their good works to take them to heaven, instead of trusting in the shed blood of Jesus to take away their sins? Pride in what I am. The truth is this, we're just all a bunch of sinners who deserve to be in hell, folks. Please, please, don't let pride take you to hell. Would you bow with me, please?
With our heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to ask you, and I'm going to pray and then give it to the pastor, but I want to ask you right now, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Are you trusting in good works, church membership, baptism, or something else to take you to heaven? Do you realize that Jesus is your only hope to get to heaven? Did you see pride in your life that you need to deal with? And on this invitation, ask God, God, help me. Forgive me for the pride in my life.